Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning, City on a Hill. It's so good to be with you. And it's, it's almost like, yeah, when I come here, it's like I'm... Like I'm, I'm, I'm here with you surfing or something. There's this wave of momentum and enthusiasm and excitement. And it feels good to be a part of that and just to kind of ride that wave uh, with you guys. If you're new to City on a Hill or you're fairly new and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tom Richter and I'm a longtime friend of City on a Hill. I'm also a pastor in Jamaica, Queens, New York. And our church meets in the evening time, and so I'm able to come here and be with you and be part of the teaching. It's an honor to be part of the teaching here at City on a Hill. And it's getting so exciting, like uh, the parking lot is full, you know, and, you, and it's fun. You walk in, it's like a, and it, you know, a big fellowship parade on the way in. Everybody's saying hi, and you know, and even if they don't know you, there he is, you know. It feels great, you know, like Norm, like when you come into City on a Hill, uh, I hope you feel that welcome. Now here's the thing, if you're here for the first time, keep coming back. You're at a good place, and uh, I, I hope that you will uh, continue to come. So as James said, yeah, started a little series uh, a- after Easter at my church to talk about uh, the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. So let's get right to it. So Easter Sunday is all about the resurrection and the, the, the idea struck me from the perspective of the people. This whole thing is, is crazy. Jesus has shown up and this man's risen from the dead. It's outrageous. But from the perspective of the angels, what must the angels have been thinking about this whole thing? So I got the idea from a TV show called Ridiculousness. Anybody show of hands seen the MTV show Ridiculousness? Okay, good. Sinners. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just kidding. I watch it. It's hilarious. Yeah, I got the idea for the show. Basically, you know, from, from your, the show is all about these videos of people doing this stuff, and it's hilarious because I'm sure as they're on a motorcycle, which is on top of a donkey, which is about to go into a pool of water through a flaming hoop, like whatever's in their mind is like, this makes total sense. <laughs> like what I'm about to do is perfectly logical, and it's going to end great. And you're watching this video like, this is going to end terribly, right? And I thought about, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And you can only see, like if you think about your life as a novel, all you can see is where you're at. Many of you, you think, I'm at the end of the book. When in fact, if you could just step outside, you'd be like, bro, you're not even at the end of your chapter. You're nowhere near the end of this book. Whatever it is you're going through, if you could just see what you want to know 10 years from now, 20 years from now, is how did our hero react in that moment? Like what happened? And you need that perspective. And sometimes when you step outside, the very things we're scared of, once we get that perspective, may seem like utter ridiculousness. And so what I've done is I've taken texts, and it's a little three-part series. And so, you know, this morning is kind of part one. I've taken these texts all about Jesus appearing to people after the resurrection and trying to look at them from a new perspective. That's all. So this morning, it's Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible... Open it up to Luke chapter 24. If you uh, have, a, have it on your phone, turn there to Luke. We say turn in your Bibles. Now we say turn on your Bibles to Luke 24. That works. I've also got them up here on the big screen so that everybody can follow along and be on the same page. Luke chapter 24. 
I will read this, this scene. Now, the resurrection, while you're turning there, I'll give you a little background. You've got to understand, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is everything to a Christian. That's it. In fact, we, we developed this saying on Easter. Did you say it on Easter? I say Christ is risen. You say he's risen indeed. Yeah, all right. Well, what are we, two weeks out? All right, so I'll say he's still risen. You say he's still risen indeed. How's that? He's still risen. Yeah, I mean, that's everything. Listen, back up for a second. Just ponder this. For, if, if, if a dead Nazarene Jew got up in 30 AD and walked out of a grave, like, that's either true or it's not. You understand? That is, a, that, that, that is the moment that, for me, splits all of time in half. I mean, if, we do, if that's not true, if that dead heart didn't start beating, if those lungs didn't suddenly fill with breath, then everything I'm preaching is meaningless and worthless, and I am to be greatly pitied if that's not true. If, however, it is, I mean, that's either true or it's not. If it is, if that dead Nazarene Jew got up and walked out of a grave, how is that not the single most cataclysmic event in all time? Like, how can that not be the thing? Like, literally, there should be groups of people who meet together every Sunday just to talk about how amazing that is. Occasionally, they should take some Sundays off to go and serve the community, but then they should come right back together and talk about it. And they should keep doing that until he comes back. How is that not everything? Listen, if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, ponder that. It means everything he says is true. For one thing, people say, well, you know, what about the Bible? You know, people ask me sometimes, a little skeptical, you know, minister in New York City. Hey, uh, what, about the, what about the Bible? Why do you believe the Bible? We could talk about textual critical analysis. We could talk about scraps of papyrus. We could talk about, if you don't believe the Bible, how dare you believe Euripides or any other ancient document because there's a whole lot more evidence of the New Testament. We could talk about all that. I don't. My answer is simple. Uh, I believe this book is true because the guy who got up and left the tomb empty believed it was true. Good enough for me. You know what I'm saying? Everything hinges upon the resurrection. So if that domino were to fall, everything else would fall. If, however, it stands, everything else stands. If the guy who got up out of the who guy who got up and left the tomb empty believed it, then, then I believe everything thing in here. And when he says he's coming back, I believe that too, and so forth and so on. The resurrection means it was not the end of Jesus. He promised eternal life to all who are in Christ. It means it won't be the end of me. It means that when I die and go in that grave, or when I'm burned up in a fire, or when I'm exploded at sea and my bits are everywhere, whatever! It was a very morbid series of illustrations there. But the fact of the matter is, when you get the news that old Tom Richter's dead, don't you believe it? I'm going to live again bodily i'm gonna be risen from bury me facing east because i'm ready i'm ready to hear that trumpet and get up bodily out of the grave don't talk to me about some spiritual resurrection where i'm gonna float up like a ghost and play a harp that's hell that's not heaven i don't want an eternity of ghostly harp playing i cannot imagine a more hellish existence than an eternity of ghostly harp if there's a harpist in here a i'm sorry and b i'll pray for you right I want a bodily resurrection. If it's not the end of Jesus, it's not the end for me. And I could go on and on and on, but just one more. You know what else it means? If Jesus Christ got up and left that tomb empty, it unites believers around the world who otherwise can disagree on a lot of things. But man, if, if that dead Nazarene Jew got up and walked out of the grave, come on. We got different languages, fine. We got different denominations, ooh. We got different theologies. We got predestinarians in here. Who knew I was going to say this? It was foreordained. It was planned before the foundations of the earth. And we got free will Arminians in here. 
We got pre-millennial, pre-trib. We got people that are so pre they won't eat post cornflakes. They, they, they pre-millennial, pre-trib. We got post-trib. And some people in here going, yo, I'm, I'm just a millennial. I'm just tweeting this. I don't even know what a millennial is. I'm a millennial. Let me tell you something. We got Mets fans. We got all kinds of disagreement. <laughs> my point is, my point is, hey, if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, the rest is details. How can that not be such an amazing fact that it unites believers? And so sure enough, every Sunday is technically, I don't know if you know this, every Sunday is technically a mini Easter. Did you know that? That's all it is. Uh, We we don't uh, reenact the crucifixion every Sunday. Instead, we celebrate the risen Lord every Sunday. That's an important difference. In in other words, uh, you come in and you're like... uh, uh, if you're like most people, um, you know, I, I got problems. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. How you doing? No, really, how you doing? Well, I got problems. Well, quite frankly, I got problems too. You got problems? Yeah, I got problems. Man, everybody got problems. How you doing? I'm busy. I'm busy and tired. Tired and busy mostly. I, I got problems, everything. We all talk about that. Then somebody stands up and goes, yeah, I got problems, but uh, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. To which you go, well, problems are still there. They just look smaller. <laughs> Because your problems do look smaller when they're set against the backdrop of an empty tomb. I saw a painting. You know, I, I, I come from the south. Maybe you don't know that. I come from the south, Kentucky, and I love to spend time in the mountains of Appalachia. And I saw this painting of this mountain cabin burned to the ground. And all that was left was the uh, uh, brick chimney. And a grandpa and a little boy standing there in overalls, got nothing. And uh, uh, the kid is crying, holding nothing but like one little burned teddy bear and the grandpa's standing there and they've watched their little mountain cabin burn the ground and the title of the painting is hush up child god's not dead <laughs> the pa- sometimes people the, 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 the guy who made that painting uh, certainly put a fine point on it didn't he i mean that's it that sermon will, i mean that that, that that painting was a sermon uh that that life looks different against the backdrop of the empty tomb anyway Uh, the perspective here on Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. We just need to briefly talk about who they are and what they're doing with these spices. To do that, we got to go back a couple of chapters in Luke. And for everybody who's not familiar with this story, I can get you up to speed pretty quick. Christians believe that Jesus was not only a really good man, he was in fact the Son of God, co-equal with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one for all eternity, and that God actually takes on human flesh and gets involved in the affairs of, of human life. Right? He announces his presence by a homeless guy who ate grasshoppers. He comes first, and he, well, locusts, but anyway, this guy, John the Baptist, is the greatest MC the world's ever seen. He sets up the stage. He's coming. Put your hands together. Right? Drops, and there it is. Jesus walks onto the scene, announces, and he teaches people how to love. He does healings. He does miracles. The people, uh, uh, he has great favor with the people. They love him. The religious leaders realized their power was slipping away. They hated him. They organized the, uh, sort of a, a mob to, to get him taken away, and he just won't shut up. Finally, they resort to a, a, a treacherous plan that leads to his crucifixion. On Thursday night, he has the Passover meal. We're going to uh, hear more about that uh, next Sunday. You, you'll hear more of the history of that. But on Thursday night, he celebrates the, the Jewish Passover meal. He kind of puts his new spin on it, and uh, the disciples are, are not quite clear. He predicts what's about to happen. There's going to be this terrible crucifixion. Then he's going to uh, die. And uh, on the third day, he's going to rise. 
that sure enough, it happens like that Thursday night. He goes through this uh, great trial. Uh, one of his disciples, th- uh, they're so confused, one pledges that he'll never leave him. Uh, they don't know whether to fight or run for their lives. Turns out they end up doing a little bit of both. Peter fights rather badly. Mark runs rather naked. He did, anyway, they run away, and uh, uh, they're on, uh, they take Jesus away, and they have this trial. And there, late in the night, it was an illegal trial. Jewish law says you're not even supposed to have a trial at night. They ignored that. It says that two or three witnesses must agree together. They ignored that. They couldn't even think of a, of, a, of a charge to lay against him. It was all ignored. It was, I mean, they're just throwing their own laws out the window. Finally, the best they can come up with is that he's a blasphemer who's also a threat to Rome because he is going to claim to be king or something like that. It's the best they can come up with. It's not much, but it's enough to get the charges to stick. Just when he needs his disciples the most, this is important for the rest of the story, they are gone. They flee. So just when he needs his friends, John and Peter get the closest. They follow him all the way to the trial. There was sort of this courtyard set up, and uh, Jesus was being transferred from one uh, part of the high priest's courtyard to another. And so they were sort of, while he was in there in trial, they're there, and there was a little fire outside because it's the middle of the night, you know, and uh, uh, they're warming themselves by the fire. And, and John and Peter, they wanted to follow Jesus. Peter wanted to follow Jesus, but he was scared to death, and he's starting to do the math. He realized, if that's what they're doing to our leader, that's what they're going to do to me. It's only a matter of time. And, and, and this is not going well. This is going south pretty quick. And I want to be there because I promised Jesus I would support him. But it's going to cost me a lot. So I want to follow Jesus at a distance. I want to be with him safely. Yeah, that sound familiar? And so I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm for you. Sort of here. Right? And so Peter's warming himself by the fire, no doubt thinking guilty. And, and I should be in there. I should be with him. It should be me being beaten right next to him. Instead, I'm here Somebody comes up to him and says, hey, 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 I know you. You're one of the Jesus followers. You're one of them. Hey, hey, he's one of them. What does Peter do? I don't know him. Jebus? Jebus? Didn't ring a bell. The one who loved you, the one who called you to this new life, you don't know him all of a sudden? Are you kidding me? A few minutes later, somebody comes up to him. No, no, no. No, I know you were one of the Jesus followers. I know you. You're one of the Galileans. Your accent gives you away. So Peter thinks quick. He's like, I tell you I never knew the guy. <laughs> Capiche? <laughs> Finally, a little servant girl walks up. I mean, come on. How intimidating should this not have been? A little servant girl walks up. You're one of the Jesus people. You're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy little kid. <laughs> Instead, what does he tell? And the Bible says that he cursed loudly. And a lot of us read that and we think he yelled out a curse word. It's much worse than that. It's not like he yelled out a curse word, which would have been, oh, mildly offensive. What he means is he called down a curse, as in a blasphemy on himself. Something like may, an oath. May God strike me dead if I ever laid eyes on this man, Jesus. And according to Luke chapter 22, in that very moment, it says a rooster crows, and everybody remembers that. Jesus predicted, you're going to deny me three times, a rooster will crow. But what we, what we often read too quickly over is Luke 22, when he come, Jesus is being transferred in the exact moment, he hears Peter deny him the third time. So Jesus walks out. You can see it's one little tiny verse. In Luke chapter 22, right as Peter says, may God strike me dead if I ever knew the man. Here's what the verse says. It says, in that exact moment, the rooster crowed. Je- Jesus turned and looked at Peter right in the face. He's being beaten and whipped and tied up and I just need one friend and I walk out to hear you call down a blasphemy on yourself. Like, 
And the next verse is Peter went out and wept bitterly. Which, no kidding, right? So Jesus, friendless and alone, his disciples, we find out, were locked in an upper room. They locked the door, scared to death, because they figured the people who killed them, they're going to kill us. When Jesus was dead, they got a couple, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, got the rights to take his body, and they kind of threw him in a hurried up, makeshift tomb there. Uh, and, uh, and they had to do it quickly because that was Friday and Saturday was the Sabbath, preparation day. It took it very seriously. Not just Sabbath, but, you know, Sabbath and Passover weeks. So it was like this really important Sabbath. And uh, uh, so nobody could do anything. Pilate tells the Roman soldiers, guard it, put a stone in front, and a 1,500-pound stone rolled in front, and then take a seal and put the Roman seal on it in case any funny business. This guy predicted he was going to rise again. And apparently everybody got that but the disciples. And so he... he he puts this seal on there, and it says, you know, the Roman seal, and guard it. Make it as secure as you can. Good luck with that. So the, uh, the, uh, that's exactly what happens, and on, that's who they are. On the first day of the week, uh, interestingly, disciples still scared to death. The, the men were locked in the upper room. The women went home and bought these very expensive spices, and they prepared them. And we learn from John chapter 12, for example, one jar of spikenard was worth a year's wages, $45,000 for one jar of spikenard perfume. And yet they mix up these spices, and they bring these burial spices. Who is they on the first day of the week? It was... The ladies, women, can I get an amen? Listen, you got to put yourself in their sandals. This is what's so important about Luke 24, verse 1. We call, this is where it's so difficult to preach the the big holy days. It's because you're preaching to a bunch of people who already know the end of the story. You know what I'm saying? And so for you, you have a nickname. You just said it. Like, Like two weeks ago, what do you call the Sunday after Good Friday? You call it what? Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Fine. You have a name for it. You have special traditions. You got to understand on Luke 24 verse 1, they weren't waking up to Sunday morning Easter. They were waking up to, they had a name for it. They called it the darkest, gloomiest day in the history of evil universe day. And there ain't no Hallmark card for that. That's a Canadian holiday, but it's not maybe, it's not, I don't know. Right? you got to get this clear in your head. The women, all their, their whole world has, the rug of reality has been pulled, up, pulled out from under them. They said Messiah would never die. You can read it for yourself. It's in Psalms. He will not let his anointed go to Hades. He will not let his anointed. And so the one thing we know about Messiah is that he's not going to die. And his kingdom, it says, will know no end. Well, his kingdom sure came to an end on that Roman cross. And they are scared to death. The reality has been pulled up. Was everything he said a lie? Can we believe nothing? I mean, he believed in us. His love for us was all that false. His healings. What about his healings? I don't know. I don't know how to explain his healings. Maybe they were products of the... Maybe they were products of the devil. I don't say that. Well, I don't know. All I know is, if he was who he said he was, then how was Rome able to put nails in his hand, nails in his feet, hang him there, and now he's dead. The one who loved us, the one who believed in us. And in the middle of their grief, the disciples turned that grief into nothing but fear. They locked the doors. They killed Jesus. They're coming for us. They're trying to grieve. They're trying to process. They're trying to figure out their next step. Probably they're trying to get out of Jerusalem alive. The, uh, the women, at least... The women looked around on that gloom and death on Sunday morning. And in the midst of all that grief, the women looked around and said, Well, girls, if something's going to get done around here, it's going to have to be us. (laughs) Right? Amen? Right? And so those women of faith, the women of faith got up and went to that tomb. And the best they could do would be to anoint a corpse. To anoint 
the very best that humanity has ever produced with burial spices. You know, to this day, that is a good definition of man-made religion. Anointing a corpse. That's all it is, man. It's honoring a dead prophet. That is the difference between Christianity and anything else. You, you, got, you got all these dead prophets and every other religion is basically a function of, hey, remember our prophets? Remember what they said? How'd you do this week on following their teachings? Not too good, right? Yeah, me neither. Well, it's hard because the bar's high. So, this week, try better, right? Try harder. And in this way, we will honor his memory. Honor her memory. Whatever. That's it, right? That's what makes Christianity so different. You're talking about a living Lord. Not just, not just here's the teachings of a dead prophet and blessed, you know, be this person and honor to them, whatever. No, it's follow him. He's here. That's why you feel him in this place. He's alive. Well, the, uh, the, the, I guess, 50th point I wanted to make about Luke 24, verse 1, is that this, uh, among being a lot of other things, this, these spices, is a colossal waste of money. <clears throat> and the application for us is that uh, buying spices for the grave is investing in death. Buying anything that's going to end up in a tomb is ultimately investing in death. And people have wasted a whole lot more in investing in death. So anyway, they go to do the best they can for God. That's religion. They're going to do the best they can. At least they're going to honor the memory. They're going to do the best they can. It turns out, however, they were on their way to watch God do something great for them, which is the story of Christianity. So in verse 2, when they get there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. <laughs> this is what I love. They think, as they're going there, their biggest concern, their biggest fear is how are we going to get the stone rolled away? For one thing, it's 1,500 pounds, but they're looking around at each other like, we can do this, girls. You know, 1,500 pounds stone if we work together. That's fine. But how are we going to get Roman guards convinced to break the seal just for like a minute and let us do our ritual anointing and then we'll be gone. It'll be fine. We can put it back. We can even help them like reshape the seal. That will be the biggest miracle is if we can actually get to the body, right? They're, they're, ponder this. They're honestly, their concern is that the biggest miracle they're going to find that day is a uh, 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 the stone will be rolled away. The miracle they're hoping for is a more convenient route to death. That's, the great, that's where their sights are set. Help me get to death more conveniently. Which is, I wonder if many people, we, we sell God short. And they're, they're sort of hoping that that's the biggest thing that will happen. I imagine, I don't have any proof of this, but my, my feeling is that as they're talking, they're, they're, they're thinking, how are we going to like bribe the soldiers? Maybe we'll give them some of these expensive spices and in this way bribe the soldier to let us in to the, to the tomb. I don't know. They thought they were doing something good for God. Instead, <clears throat> when they went in, <clears throat> they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You see that? Now, this is very unusual. <laughs> While they were, this is called understatement, perplexed. <laughs> yes, I am perplexed. While they're perplexed by this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, I believe that these two men were angels, and that's the point of the dazzling apparel. And the women at this point were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground, right? That's always the case. I love this. They're, you know, they're perplexed. Yes, when you go to the grave expecting something dead, and instead you see something living, it is always 
perplexing. It's most perplexing, right? Now, this is what, remember the point of what I'm saying. It's, it's, you got to look at this from the angels. This is not, this is not Easter Sunday morning to them. They do not expect this. They are not thinking, ah, oh, two angels, huh? Well, he is risen. He's risen indeed, right? <laughs> Let's put on good clothes and hide some eggs. For this is a great day, right? No, they bow their face to the ground. They're scared to death. What do you make of this, Solomon? I don't know, Joanna. Mary? What about you? I don't know, Mary. What about you, third Mary? I don't know. I'm just scared to death. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, they are so perplexed, the angel hits them. with. Is, this, is, this begins my favorite all-time scripture. In the whole Bible, if you said, Tom, what is your absolute favorite scripture? This is the penultimate line. And the one that comes after this is the ultimate favorite line. From the angel's perspective, they merely ask him a question. The women are perplexed, but the angels are perplexed. And the, and the, and the angel asks him, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, they've been sitting here for a billion years, ever since they got let in on salvation's plan, going, you ready for this moment? Oh, I'm ready for this moment. You ready? Oh, bro, I am ready, right? And then when the women get there, why do you seek the living among the dead? And to this day, if you, listen, if you look for Jesus among a pantheon of other dead prophets, you will not find him there. You're seeking the living among the dead. He's alive. So this is perplexing. And there, I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but if it weren't, why do you seek the living among the dead? Their answer is, because quite frankly, we weren't seeking the living. What we were coming for is most certainly, we saw it, dead. And that's why we're seeking the living among the dead. We didn't know we were seeking the living. That's always how it is. When people begin to explore faith for the first time, or maybe they come back to their faith after years, and they pull that dusty old precious moments King James Bible off the shelf, given to me by my grandma when I was six. Let me see if there's anything in here, right? And they begin opening it like, let me, just, let me just rule this out as a bunch of nonsense. And they read a verse of John, then another verse of John. They can't understand everything. Then three chapters of John, then four chapters of John. And at first they're starting to read and then they put it down. They go, I'm not alone in this room. And that, that book's reading me. It's happened. Because John is not telling history. John's an evangelist. He's out to convert you. Don't be surprised when you seek the living. You can seek a prophet, find what you find. When you seek Jesus, suddenly you realize he's seeking you. Because he's alive. Well, this is my favorite verse in all of Scripture. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. That's it. not here (laughs) they don't say where jesus is he didn't leave a memo uh he's just not here it turns out we have a deity who is on the loose (laughs) could be anywhere right now And sure enough, he is. He starts popping up in all these hilarious moments. He's just sort of on the loose, enjoying his new risen body. He goes up, you know, at one point he like acts like the gardener. Where did you steal the body? Where did you take it, Mr. Gardener? I don't know. Mary. Ah! He he finds these two rednecks walk into Emmaus and he's like, hey, fellas. Hey, are you the only one who's not heard about Jesus? Tell me more, right? 
Then he breaks bread, vanished like a ninja. It's amazing. The disciples are in a locked room for fear of the Jews. They're scared to death. And Jesus walks right in. Peace be with you. Ah, right? How did you get in here? We locked the door. Yes, but you used a master lock, and I am the master. What? Like, there's no... There's no... Locked tomb, listen, locked tomb, locked door, locked heart, no match for King Jesus. They say, they say, they used to tell me when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom so humans could get to God. I believe the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom because God was saying he would not be caged by a temple or a tomb. Oh, but Tom, what about this person I'm praying for? They seem so close to the gospel. You know, they, but these, my community's so dark. What about closed country? We can't even get missionaries into these closed countries to share the gospel. It's so dark. What can God do about that? Why even pray for it? There ain't nowhere more closed or darker than a sealed tomb, so locked door, sealed tomb, veil of the temple, closed country, it ain't no match for King Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. No match. No match. No match. So you are a church that believes like me that King Jesus is still on the loose. So how are you going to give up? Right? How are you going to give up? He's on the loose. If it's you versus your problems and you're clinging to the scrolls of a dead prophet, you Give up. I'm betting on your problems. <laughs> Sorry. But I mean, come on, it's you. No offense. Versus your problems, right? But if it's King Jesus pulling you through, I'm betting on you. See? Not your problem. Because he's on the loose. He's still on the loose. He's absolutely on the loose. Everybody's talking about what would Jesus do? What will Jesus do? I'll tell you what he'll do. On April 24th, he'll clean up some graffiti. He'll do it with his people. He's alive. You know what I mean? That's all. I mean, unless the graffiti says, Jesus is Lord, then that's going to be a weird moment. You're going to be like, I'm not Pastor Linda, what I done? <laughs> I minister in an urban context. I've, I've had these moments. I've thought, well, I'll leave that. Man. Uh, I, I nicknamed the whole series Ridiculousness because from the angel's perspective, this is, this is the point. What, for the angels, this whole thing is like, he is not here, but has risen. And they're scratching their head. The, the women are like, oh, and, the, and the angel's like, what is happening? For them, it's total ridiculousness. They cannot understand because he, he told you. So the angel's perspective, they're sitting here and they're going, okay, okay, okay. It's like, I don't know, Saturday. What do you think, angel? I don't know. What, listen. By the way, you're not going to get mentioned in three of the other Gospels. It's just going to be one of us. So, you know, enjoy Luke. <laughs> I will. I will. It's kind of my big, big moment to shine. Uh, 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 when do you think, when do you think, the angels have been watching humans for billions of years, and they're like, when do you think they will begin lining up for the resurrection? Because I've noticed this thing about humans where they line up for big events in advance. And one angel says, I think they'll start lining up 8 o'clock p.m. On, the, on Saturday. He's like, no, 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 they're funny about the Sabbath. They won't, all right, all right, good point. So at least by 8.30, by 9 o'clock, well, how big do you think the line will be? I think the line will go all the way to Judea. 
And the other angel says, Judea, I think the line will go all the way to Bethany. I think the line will go to Rome. I think the line will go to the moon. This is, this is the resurrection. And he told him, you're sure he told him? Yeah, look, it's right here. Luke 9, he said it uh, again in Luke 18. Like, that's just Luke. He said, all, he said, no, well, you mean he spoke in parables. A kernel of wheat must fall to the ground and die. <laughs> and then it will bear much fruit. No, no, I mean, he did do that, but he also said things like, the Son of Man will be handed over to sinful men who will crucify him, and on the third day he will rise. Whatever could he mean by the, you know, he's telling, right? So they're saying they're going to line up. And, he, and angels know this. Angels are like, look, I've seen, here's what they did for a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> this isn't even the risen Jesus. This is just Jesus' chicken, and he, man, they, look at this. Now, that's in New York. In the suburbs, they have parking lots. That's for Chick-fil-A. So you know the angels are like, you know, there's going to be a countdown. Ten, nine on Sunday morning. He's coming out to him. Eight, seven. This is unreal. I know. Here he comes, right? Right? This is what, this is an iPhone 6. If that's what they do for an iPhone 6, imagine the angels are like, this line is going to be wrapped around Judea a million times. People are going to be fighting each other just to be the first one to lay eyes. I mean, have you seen what they do for Star Wars? There is no telling what they're going to do. And so 10, 9, 8, the angels look out. They're like, you have got to be. Are you serious? You have got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. The angels are looking at each other. You have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And right now, like there are rocks crying out, like we got this, we got this. Humans failed, but we got this. So at least the rocks cried out at the risen Lord. At least those, uh, that's not an accurate picture. I found a picture of a desert and just put it up there. But you get the point, right? Well, uh, no one was there. Finally, angels see the women and they're like, from a distance, they're like, Thank goodness. Now, they're a little late, but at least somebody's coming. What do they got? What do they got? Oh, they got baskets. Awesome. They brought baskets of Jesus' favorite foods to give to him, no doubt, to, you know, uh, uh, redemption works up an appetite. And so they're going to give... They're going to give them some breakfast of Jesus' favorite foods. That's so smart. And what a thoughtful thing of the women to do. They get closer. No, I don't think. I don't think it's, I don't think it's food. Well, what could it be? It's probably a, a flower crown to the newly risen king, and they're going to give him a crown. It's probably flowers. No. They get closer. They're like, you, you are not going to believe this. It's myrrh. Like myrrh, like burial. Yeah, and uh, spikenard. No. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been mixed together. It's like aloes. It's, it's burial perfume. Burial perfume. Well, they got to be coming for somebody else who recently died. No, look, it's Jesus' followers. It's, I know. Oh, you got to be kidding me. What? So when they get there, they ask him, why, why do you seek the living among the dead? And this is what I came here to tell you. This is the point. They then offer him. This is the point of everything. They then give, they give to Jesus the highest proof they can offer him. And it's not the risen Lord himself. It's not his body. Listen carefully. They give to the women the highest proof that they can give. And the highest proof they can give goes like this. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Remember how he told you the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day 
rise. This is the point. Listen, this is the angel's reasoning from their perspective. The angels offer the women the highest proof they can offer. Listen, listen, listen. The highest proof they can offer from their perspective is the word of God. Now listen, it doesn't get any more sure than that. See, the women are going, how can we know? I mean, from the women's perspective, it's like, whoa, dead people stay dead, don't they? And the angel's perspective is like, God said he'd do something, didn't he? God saying it trumps whatever reality you think you have in your brain. Yeah, but not death. Yes, death. Well, God's word doesn't trump every reality. God's word makes reality. Go back a few chapters to the beginning of the Bible. There's no light. It's just darkness. It's void and chaos over the deep. And God spoke, let there be light. And reality said, sir, yes, sir. Because his word speaks reality. And that's all the angels have ever seen. That's all they've ever seen. They have noticed over the last gazillion years a pattern. And it is as follows. When God says something, it gets done. Not might get done. Not that will be an interesting effect on reality. Let's see how the media spins it. It gets done. Do you know anybody whose word is good that when they say something you can count on it? That's right, you do not. I don't either. No one knows that. And here's why. You don't know that person. Why? Because no matter how precious and good and reliable they've always been, the trains could be late. Something could be beyond their control. Something out there could be beyond their control where they promise you something and it couldn't get done. Nothing is outside of God's control. So when he says it, it gets done. And that's all the angels have ever known. One of my favorite stories is when Gabriel, in the very beginning of this gospel, in the gospel of Luke, it's how the whole thing opens. Zechariah is walking through the temple, and he's very excited because it's his day to be in the temple. It doesn't happen often. And he's enjoying his time in the temple, and an angel of the Lord appears. Can you imagine, of all places, to meet God? Church. (laughs) Angel shows up. You, Zechariah. God's about to do his thing. Remember that whole thing he promised the whole Old Testament? Messiah's coming. He's going to use your son as the MC to bring him on stage. His name's going to be John. He's going to be the great, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Nobody's going to be like this guy. He's going to bring Jesus onto the stage. That's going to happen. Zechariah is very, very old. His wife is very old. And so he looks, he's like, <laughs> oh, Gabriel. <clears throat> he says, how can I know? I mean, really, this, okay, this is God's word. Fine. How can I know God's going to do what he says he does? Gabriel's like, you know who I am? You know what I do all day? You know what my job description is? Here's my business card. What's that say? Gabriel, messenger of God. Okay. So I don't tell God what to do. He does his thing. My job is just to tell the people. And I am getting pretty sick and tired of people then looking at me. Gabriel, messenger of... So here's what's going to happen. You will not be getting your sign and mute button. Zechariah's like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you're going to do is you're going to stop the talking and start the listening when God says something, he does it. And then nine months later, they give birth to a boy. They're like, what should we name him? I'm thinking Bill. Maybe Zechariah. Zechariah's like... John. Yes, John. Thank you. That's all they do all day. They see humans, look at the word of God and go, eh, I don't know. The point of the sermon is simple. 
when the women needed this proof, reality is shaped by the word of God. When the women needed this proof, and when they wondered, like, how can we know, and what's going on in all this, the angels are looking at them going, this is utter ridiculousness. He said it, didn't he? So, what are you in a post-resurrection world going through? That from the angel's perspective, has got to look a little ridiculous. Not that they're laughing at your pain. I, I don't mean that. They're going, but he, look at these guys. They know about the resurrection, right? I mean, they know how things end up, right? If it's right here, we did. You got, you got them a copy? Yeah, 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 I'm sure of it, yeah. So they, can, they have this. So what has God said? He said that you were created in his image. He said that uh, when we have all taken that image and we have uh, dragged it through the mud of sin in our own Wickedness, the Bible says that that's who we are, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is exempt from that. That's what the Bible says about you. It says you were made in the image of God, made good, and through sin we have rebelled against God. And he says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He also says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's his word. So will you believe it? Will you cling to him? Listen, if I may just sort of be so bold as to kind of divide the room into a couple of categories. Have you put your faith and trust in King Jesus? If you haven't, what would prevent you today from doing that? You say, I'm a seeker. I don't li-. Listen, you have control of your life right now, and it's not. The Bible says your, your, your path is to be apart from God forever. That's hell. What if today would be the day where you transfer that trust to King Jesus? Right? And if you're already a believer, why would you pull that trust away from the Lord? Why won't you continue to trust in him more fully today? It's his word. It's his, it, his word is even more powerful than dead people in the grave staying dead. If he says he's going to rise again, he's going to rise again. His word is sure. And you can bet your eternity on it. And your perspective can be like the angels. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you as the risen Lord whose word is certain and sure. What you say you're going to do, you're going to do. And you said that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You said that there will be a coming judgment. And you said that you're coming back. You said these things and everything you say. In many ways, we're like those women at the tomb. We've not personally seen necessarily the physical body of Jesus, but we believe in your word. And I pray for anybody here who's not yet taken that first step of faith that today would be the day they receive you as Savior and Lord. They open their heart to you and receive you as their Savior and Lord. For all of my brothers and sisters in Christ in the room, I pray that all of us would have a posture of continual repenting from sin and trusting in you. That we would lean into the truth we know and get back to that fundamental that your word is true and everything you say you're going to do, you're going to do. That your word shapes our reality, not the other way around. We pray all this in the name of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, there's always a prayer team every Sunday that meets together. Usually over here, right, Pastor? So they'll be here. And if you went to them and said, hey, uh, I didn't understand a lot of what that guy said, but he was talking about that thing at the end where you put your life in Christ's hands. How do I do that? They'll help you, sort of give you some words to begin that journey, begin that step. Does that make sense? Do that. And if you're a believer who's wrestling that trust back out of your Father's hand, it might be good to get some prayer over that as well for you. Until he comes back, we have this remembrance. 
He gave us a means of remembering. And so, on the night Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says, he took some bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body given for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in similar fashion, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, cup of the new covenant in my blood, which has been given for you, He says that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That death on the cross earned for us a right standing with God. And to all who believe, that can be given to you. No matter what you've done, no matter whether you've been unrighteous or self-righteous or somewhere in between, you can be set free under the blood of Jesus Christ because that's what he did for you. He was that spotless lamb who died on that cross for you. So if you have received that good news, if you have believed this supper is meant to be, this this symbol is meant to be a remembrance where you call to the forefront of your mind that great sacrifice he made for you on the cross. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't need to receive the elements, the symbols. You need to receive the one to whom the symbols point. You need to open your heart up to Christ. That's what you need to do. See? And for that, we have that, that prayer set up. But this is a time for believers to remember this great gospel truth that it's not about us going to anoint a dead body and do the best we can for God. It's he who is our host, he who has done it all, and it's he who invites his children to come and to receive the good gifts of God. So the ushers know how to get us to the table in a reverent manner. and They'll be moving around and getting everything set up, and you just follow their lead, and we'll enter into the time of the table now. resources, visit us at chccny.com.